I'm so, so honored that you would be with us tonight on Good Friday. Uh, I really believe this is going to be a different Good Friday service than anything we've done before as a church. I feel like, you know, what God has been revealing to me and showing to me, uh, so many people, they come to Good Friday services. And, and here's, you know, for those of us who grew up in religion, one of the challenges I've seen with Good Friday is we come into a service like this, we talk about what Jesus did on our behalf, what he went through, the pain, the agony, the torture, uh, all of, of what he faced for us, and we leave beating ourselves up. I don't know about you, but there's so many times I've come to Good Friday, my iPad was somewhere back there if you guys see it anywhere, um, we, we just leave and we beat ourselves up in the sense of, look what Jesus did for me, I've got to do better for him. Have you ever felt that? Like, look, look at the extreme. Jesus was tortured and he killed. I've got to do better. I've got to live better. I've got to do more. I've got to work harder. And so often that's the attitude that we leave with after Good Friday. And can I tell you, if you walk out of here tonight feeling like I need to do better for Jesus, you've missed the entire point of the cross you're actually creating a brand new religion that's not Christianity. And we're going to show you that tonight. Uh, let, let, me, let me set up a foundation with you tonight. This is something that I was studying out this week, and I don't know if it's quite ready to share yet, because uh, I'm still kind of, it's just, it really was blowing my mind this week when I began to see this. And so I want to, I want to touch on it tonight and develop it even more for the future, but use this to kind of build a foundation uh, on the cross, Pilate, if you remember, put up a sign above the head of Jesus in three different languages, in Hebrew and Latin and Greek. And the sign said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Now, if you know anything about the Hebrew alphabet, every letter of the Hebrew alphabet is a picture. It, it represents a, a If you have any Jewish friends, you can ask them about the alphabet and what each letter uh, represents, and they can tell you what each letter represents. Well, one of the reasons the chief priests were so furious about the sign that Pilate put over the head of Jesus is because with the, with the Hebrew sentence, they wouldn't just see the words of the sentence, they would also see the anachronym, the sentence form, because the first letter of every word kind of creates an anachronym. And this is what's so amazing. If you look at, and remember, Hebrews write you know, uh, the opposite of us, that we, we go from, what is it, left to right, they go right to left. So if you look at what they wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, the first letter is Yod, the second is He, then you've got Vay, and then He again, Yod, Yod, He, Vav, He. Let me show you what that means, Yahweh, Jehovah. One of the reasons they were so furious is because what Pilate put over Jesus' head is the holiest of all holy names. Like, this name is so holy to the Jewish people, they won't even say this name. They actually, they, 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 they say Hashem, which in Hebrew means the name. So instead of saying Yahweh, they say Hashem, which means the name, because this is the holiest of all holy names. So above Jesus, Pilate ignorantly puts Yahweh, the name of the Lord, on the cross. Now, here, here's what will blow your mind even further. As I said, each letter of the Hebrew alphabet is a picture. Yod is the picture of an open hand. If you look at the alphabet, it's the picture of an open hand. Hey 
is the picture of a window, or it means to behold. Hey is also the fifth letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which represents grace all throughout the Old Testament. Abram, uh, God added hey, uh, hey to his name, grace to his name. Abram becomes Abraham, becomes the father of a multitude. Sarai was an old hag. God added grace to her name, Sarah. She became beautiful, rejuvenated, got pregnant in her old age. All throughout the Old Testament, you see hey is a representation of God's grace. So you see grace twice in the name Yahweh, the holiest of all names. But here's what's so amazing. Vav means nail. That's the picture for Vav. And then you have grace again, which means to behold or to see. So what does Yahweh mean to the Hebrews? See the open hand, see the nail. Is that crazy? I mean, ask any Jewish friend what these letters mean. They'll tell you. Open hand to see, to behold. The nail to see, to behold. See the open hand, see the nail. The name Yahweh, the holiest of all names, prophesied Jesus thousands of years before he came. And then Pilate puts that above. And what I love is there's a double grace in his name. We're just saying grace to grace. There's a double grace in the name Yahweh, in the name of the Lord. Powerful when you study it out and you see it. Now, I wanted to use that as a foundation as we talk about the cross tonight. I was studying Colossians chapter 2 today, and I was trying to find what is the best way to kind of really communicate what it says. And then I read it in the Living Bible, and it said it perfectly. And so let me read this to you. In the Living Bible, Colossians 2 says, you were dead in sins. So all of us were dead in our sin. We were living a life that was away from God, and your sinful desires were not yet cut away, meaning we haven't found Christ yet. The, the sinful nature hadn't been taken away. We hadn't been converted into being born-again Christians yet. Then he gave you a share in the very life of Christ. So you were, you were sinful, and then God gives you a share in the very life of Christ, for he forgave all your sins. So everything you've ever done, your entire past is completely forgiven and blotted out the charges that were proved against you. The list of his commandments, which you had not obeyed. We all had a sinful past. We all had things that we just didn't follow. We didn't obey. All these charges against us, God blotted it all out. He took this list of sins and destroyed it by nailing it to Christ's cross. That is so incredible. Everything you have ever committed, everything I have ever committed went to the cross on that Good Friday. It was very, very good. Not, not a good day for Christ, but a good day for us because it went to the cross in this way. I love that. In this way, in what way? In the way that God took all of your sin and all of my sin and he nailed it to the cross. In this way, God took away Satan's power to accuse you of sin. Satan can no longer condemn you. Satan can no longer you know, put guilt on your life and call you a sinner no matter what you do because all of your sin, past, present, and future, was nailed to the cross of Christ and God openly displayed to the whole world Christ's triumph at the cross where your sins were all taken away. That's what I want you to walk out of here with tonight. And understanding that because of Good Friday, because of the cross, 
All of your sins were taken away. You don't have to live with guilt. You don't have to live with shame. You don't have to live with condemnation. So we're going to talk the truth about the cross tonight. I want you to see it fresh tonight, like you've never seen it before. Paul says in Galatians, going on to teach on the cross, he says, those teachers of yours who are trying to convince you to be circumcised are doing it for one reason. We taught on this all last year as a church. There were false teachers who were trying to pervert the message of the gospel, and they were doing it for one reason, so that they can be popular and avoid the persecution they would get if they admitted, this is huge, that the cross of Christ alone can save. It's the cross of Christ alone. It's not your performance. It's not your behavior. It's not how well you follow the rules. It's not how good of a Christian you are. It is the cross of Christ alone that can save you. And even those teachers who submit to circumcision don't try to keep the other Jewish laws. So even they can't even do it all. But they want you to be circumcised in order that they can boast that you are their disciple. Circumcision was the sign of keeping the law in the Old Testament. And so they were saying that Jesus alone can't save you. You've got you to say yes to Jesus and then go follow all of the Jewish traditions so that you can be accepted by God. Go get circumcised so you can be accepted by God. As for me, God forbid that I should boast about anything except the cross. Let me never boast in my ability. Let me never boast in my behavior. Let me never boast in how good of a Christian I am. Let me never boast in all of the good deeds that I could possibly do. Let me never boast in giving to the poor and helping people in need. Let me never boast in anything I can do but the cross and the cross alone of our Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, because of that cross, because of that cross, and this is what can take place in your life. When you get a hold of the cross, when you see the cross for what it truly is, not as a piece of jewelry, not as a fact of history, but when you see and embrace the cross for what it truly is, Paul says, my interest in all the attractive things of the world was killed long ago. You see, Christianity is not behavior modification, it's heart transformation. The goal of Christianity is not controlling your behavior and making yourself follow the rules. The goal of Christianity is to change your appetites, change your desire, change what you want out of life. He says, that's what happened. When I got a hold of the cross, all of the interests I had, all of the appetites I had for all those things that used to be attractive, all those things that I used to desire, all the things that I used to want, when I got a hold of the cross, that changed. The question is, has it changed? Have you lost an appetite for things that you used to have an appetite for? So that tells you if you're, you're embracing the cross the way it's supposed to be embraced. And the world's interest in me is also long dead. It doesn't make any difference now whether we have been circumcised or not, whether we follow the rules or not. What counts is whether we really have been changed into new and different people. It's, again, it's heart transformation. It's not behavior modification. It's heart transformation. May God's mercy and peace be upon all of you who live by this principle. What principle? That it's not about you. It's about Christ. That it's not about your behavior. It's about the cross. It's not about your performance. It's about Jesus. It's not about how well you do Christianity. It's about how well he did Christianity. And if you live by this principle, you're going to have mercy and you're going to have peace in your life. And some of you need some peace in your life because you're tired of the anxiety. You're tired of the fear. You're tired of living with all the end. So you need some peace in your life. 
But you got to get your eyes off yourself, and you got to get your eyes on the cross. So let's look at what Paul was dealing with, the, the false teachers. You know, Paul had a message of the gospel. Paul's message was you got to believe in Jesus, then you're saved. Like once you believe, you're saved. And then after you get saved, all of a sudden there's a spiritual energy that comes in your life that gives you a power to obey because, again, it begins to create a new person out of you. The false teachers came along and said, there's no problem with believing. Yeah, you should believe in Jesus. Jesus was a good man, but that's not enough. You need to believe in Jesus, and you've got to obey all the law. You need to go get circumcised and follow the rules really well. And, and if you believe in Jesus and you obey all of the rules, then you will be saved. See, see, how, see how subtle the difference is? And yet I'm willing to say most people who go to church today have subtly bought into the teacher's religion and not Paul's gospel. Because for so many of us, it's so hard to imagine that what Christ did on my behalf is enough, that, that, that I, I've got to do more. But Paul says, I boast only in the cross. He says, I make the cross the governing authority of my life. It's the principle, and it's revolutionized everything I see about the world. That's why he says, because of that cross, my interest and in all the attractive things of this world is dead. So I'm going to look at three things about the cross tonight. First is the offensiveness of the cross. The cross is incredibly offensive. If you've never been offended by the cross, have you ever looked at it? Because if you truly sit back and you understand what the cross represents, it's offensive to all of us in our day, in our age, in our culture. That's why Paul and Chapter 5 says, brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, if I'm still preaching follow the rules, why am I still being persecuted? He goes, in that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. If it's about following the rules, the cross isn't offensive. You see, what makes the cross offensive for, for you and I, the, the heart of the offense is the cross shows us that my sin was so bad, it caused this major problem for God, that God's Son had to die. And I don't think any one of us really want to think that we caused the death of Jesus. That there is no other way. That because of what I did, because most of us really don't feel like we're all that bad of people. Like we really don't want to believe that what I did in my life caused such a problem for God, the only solution God could come up with is his son had to be tortured and killed on my behalf. That's why Peter says, you know that it wasn't with perishable things such as silver or gold that you redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ. See, nobody really wants to think, like if you were honest about this, nobody really wants to sit around and think that my past caused the death of Christ. That what I did was so horrible against God that Jesus had to... See, for, the cross shows us that forgiveness is never easy. Forgiveness is always expensive. Forgiveness will always cost somebody something. You see, what's offensive is we think, well, why can't God just make our sins go away? It doesn't work like that. Let, let, me, give you, let me give you the smallest illustration I can. Let, let's 
let's say, you know, you're going to the airport and I let you borrow my umbrella. My umbrella is like five bucks. And so I let you borrow my umbrella and, and you're heading to the airport on a trip and, and, and you forget my umbrella when you get home. And then you're all, you know, sorry that you forgot my umbrella. I'm so sorry. I forgot your umbrella. I'll, I'll, I'll make it up to you. And I say to you, don't worry about it. You're a good friend. You don't need to pay me back. I'll take care of it. You just, just don't even worry about it. Well, was it was that sin of losing my umbrella free? No, it cost me. I've got to now pay the five. I've got to absorb the $5 cost of you losing my umbrella. See, forgiveness is never free. Forgiveness will always cost somebody something. And our offense, our sin, was a capital offense. And Jesus had to die. And a lot of people get hung up over this. They think, well, why, you know, why did God make Jesus die? Why did, why did God kill Jesus? Like, like, why couldn't he just overlook our sin? Why couldn't he just forgive our sin? Let me put it like this. If you were a judge and you were sitting on a court and you had a son that went out drunk driving and killed somebody, as a judge, you have the legal ability to acquit your son, Right? You can acquit them of the crime, but you would have to forsake your righteousness to be able to do it. You could acquit them, but you would no longer be a righteous judge. Because there is an offense, and that offense has a price, and somebody has to pay the price. And if we really want to look at how offensive the cross is, you know, people ask me all the time, well, what about all these good people in the world that don't believe in Jesus? You know, there's good Muslims in the world who, who, you know, they don't believe in Jesus and good Hindus and good Buddhists and there's good atheists. And, you know, what about my grandmother? She wasn't religious. She was a, she was a great woman. She helped anyone that needed help and never, never hurt anybody. You're trying to tell me that when she dies, God can't just forgive them and let them into heaven? Well, let me illustrate it like this to show you the logic of that. And this is what makes the cross so offensive. Let's say we're driving to the airport, and I'm sitting in the back seat of the car, and, and, and there's a group of us, and, and I say to all of you in the car, I said, man, I love you guys so much. I mean, you, you, don't even, you can't even imagine how much I love you. I love you so much. You know what? I'm going to prove to you how much I love you, and I open up the door, and I jump out of the car on the freeway, get run over by a semi-truck, and die. Now, how many of you would, would be sitting in the car thinking, man, he really loved us? Or would you be thinking to yourself, what an idiot. He had mental issues. Now, what happened if we got a wreck on the freeway and you were trapped inside of the car? And I got free. And I realized the car is about to blow. There's a leak. And I, and I crawl back into the car and I, I cut the seatbelt and I get you out of the car just in time. But I don't make it out and the car blows and I die. Then you would feel how much I loved you. You see, there's got to be a purpose in dying. You see, if the good Buddhist gets to heaven or the good Muslim gets to heaven or good old grandmother gets to heaven and God just forgives them and lets them in, then Jesus is the crazy person who jumps out of the car in the middle of the freeway for no reason. I mean, how could a loving God allow his son to die the death he died if it really didn't matter? If there was no purpose to his death, if nobody gets, if you, if you, if there were other roads that led to God, if there were other roads that led to heaven, 
What kind of sadistic God would allow his son to die the way he died? See, this is why the cross gets so offensive. But you've got to get through the offense to see the beauty. That's why Paul says, I boast in nothing but the cross. I don't boast in my efforts. I don't boast in what I've done for God. Let me show you some scripture on this. As for me, God forbid that I should boast about anything except the cross. Let me never brag about anything but what Jesus has done on my behalf. It's not how well I obey. It's not how good I am. It's not how many people I help. It's all about the cross. Romans 10 puts it like this. They don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. God doesn't make people right because of how much we do. He says, refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. I'm going to try to be a really good Christian. I'm going to try to follow all of the rules. And and if I can obey well enough, then I can be right with God. They don't get it. They don't get it. Colossians 2 says this, so then just as you receive Christ Jesus, how did you receive Christ? By grace. By grace. Continue to live your life in him. What's very interesting to me is it doesn't say continue to live your life for him. It says continue to live your life in him. See, so many of us want to live for God. But we're to live in God. See, it's not what I do for him. Remember Mary and Martha? Martha's serving the Lord. She's running all over the house, cooking dinner, getting everything clean, getting everything. And Mary's just sitting at the feet. And Jesus says she chose the better part. See, it's not what you do for him. It's being in him. That's why Paul says, I boast in nothing but the cross. And that leads us to the last, the freedom from the cross. There is incredible freedom. And I I believe with all my heart, people are going to walk out of here with it tonight because you're going to realize it's not about you. It's about the cross. We don't boast in our performance. We boast in the cross. We boast in what Jesus did on Good Friday. It's not about how well I live the Christian life. It's all about the cross. The more I understand that I am forgiven, the more I understand that my debts are paid, the more I understand that I am righteous. It creates a spiritual energy inside of me. See, people love to criticize the grace message because they say when you preach grace, you're just giving people an excuse to live however they want to live. No, when you preach grace, you put a spiritual energy inside of them to want to live for God. It changes appetites. It changes desires. That's why Paul says, God's mercy and peace be upon all of you who live by this principle. If you live by this principle, if you live by the principle of boasting and nothing but the cross, If you live by the principle that it's all about what Jesus did for me, not about what I do for Jesus. It's all about understanding grace and that my sin has been paid, my debt has been paid. I'm telling you, it's peace and it's mercy and it changes your life. Let let me me illustrate it like this. There's two trapeze artists, the people that walk on the, the ropes and do all those crazy acrobatic trips up high. I want you to imagine too, one of them is told, that, look, there is no safety net. If you mess up, you're dead. Like, there's no safety net tonight. So if you fall, you're going to die. The second trapeziartist is told that, uh, don't worry tonight. If, if you make a mistake, there's a safety net, so you're not going to die. You'll, you'll be fine if you make a mistake tonight. Which trapeziartist is going to take the bigger risk? 
which trapeze artist is going to perform with more freedom and more liberty to do the job that they were created to do? The one that knows there's a safety net. You need to know there's a safety net called grace. See, so many of us live under this condemnation that if I make a mistake, God's going to get me. No, Jesus paid for it all. All of our sin has been paid for. See the open hand. See the nail. It was paid for. Yahweh, the Lord, took it all. And that's why we celebrate communion. Because communion reminds us what Christ did on our behalf. Communion brings us back to the cross. You cannot receive communion without thinking about the cross because it's the cross where Jesus shed his blood. It's the cross where Jesus gave his life. And the power of the cross, those two substitutions occurred on the cross, and unfortunately, many of us have only accepted one. The first substitution on the cross is Jesus took your place. He took all of your sin. He became sin for you. The second substitution on the cross is you take his place. You take all of his righteousness. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness. Every time you look at the cross, you need to feel righteous. Every time you look at the cross, you need to know you're forgiven. Every time you look at the cross, there is no guilt. There is, do not let Satan beat you up with the cross. Do not let Satan tell you that because you've got to do better. You've got to try harder. Look what Jesus did for you. You're not doing enough for him. No. Because of the cross, you are perfect, you are holy, you are righteous in the sight of God. We need to forever see it differently, and that's why I receive communion. And so right now, I want the team to begin to hand out the communion elements. We're going to prepare to receive communion together, and then we're going to have a couple more songs of worship. Tonight, as we receive communion, I want you to receive the fullness of the cross, all of the grace all of the mercy, everything Jesus did for you, I want you to receive tonight. So I'm going to give them a moment to hand out. amazing how much of Jesus is hidden all throughout the Old Testament and all throughout the Jewish faith. Even to the very matzah bread that we receive communion on. If you notice how the Jewish people, they make this for Passover. If you notice how they make it to this day, it's striped and pierced. By his stripes, we are healed. He was pierced for our transgressions. To this day, the bread received on Passover is striped and pierced. It's incredible. Jesus is everywhere. I want to encourage you to receive communion often. There's not a lot of things Jesus said do often. Communion is one of them. 
the reason Jesus says do communion often, and you don't need to do communion in a church. You can do communion anywhere. You can do communion every morning if you want to. As long as you don't turn it into some religious ritual, do it as often as you like. Because the power of communion is it brings you back to Jesus. It brings you back to what He did on your behalf, not what you do for Him. See, we think so much that I need to serve the Lord, I need to serve the Lord, I need to serve the Lord, that we never stop and let the Lord serve us. Do you know what Jesus wants to do more than anything? He wants to serve you. He wants to bless you. He wants to care for you. He wants to feed you. And so so many of us have such a hard time letting him do that because, no, I need to be working for you, Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, 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 stop. You give me great joy when you let me bless you. You give me great joy. Remember the woman at the well? Jesus is exhausted. He's hungry. He's tired. The disciples head into the city to bring back food. They get back. Jesus is fully refreshed, fully rejuvenated, fully energized. And they're like, where did you get food? How did you get all this, you know, energy? How did you get so refreshed? He says, I got something you don't even know about. He was energized ministering to somebody in their need. I don't know about you, but I want to give Jesus a lot of energy. I just want him to come minister to me in my need. Like, like, come serve me, Jesus. Come bless me, Jesus. And he loves that. And that's part of what communion is. Jesus took the bread and he gave it. He said, let me feed you. Do this to remember me. Think about what I've done on your behalf every time you receive this. He took the bread, he broke it, he gave it to the disciples. This is my body given for your life, given for your health, given for your healing. The Bible is very clear. On the cross, Jesus carried all of our sin, but he also carried all of our sickness. Every physical issue you will ever struggle with in your physical body, Jesus paid for the healing on the cross. And every time we receive the bread, we recognize that. And we say, Jesus, you paid for my healing. Your body represents that you paid so that I could be healed. So I just receive health. By faith, I'm going to receive health. And I thank you for my health. And I'm just going to believe for it until whatever I have in the supernatural appears in the natural. Father, we thank you for the bread tonight. And we take it by faith. We thank you for our healing. We thank you for the health. By the stripes on your body, we are healed. So we receive tonight everything you paid for on the cross. You don't have to die again so that we can be healed. You don't have to be beaten or whipped again so that we can be healed. It was paid for, paid in full. And so we receive that tonight in the name of Jesus. Let's take the bread together. In the same way, he took the cup. So this is the new covenant, my blood. This means you deserve it. This means you're good enough. This means you're righteous. This means you're worthy. This means you don't have to live with guilt. You don't have to live with shame. You don't have to live with regret. God doesn't judge you according to what you've done. He judges you according to the blood of Jesus, which is perfect and holy. And it doesn't just cover your sin. It takes it away. It cleanses it. Removes it. That's what this cup represents. Father, we thank you for the blood that purifies us. 
that washes us. We thank you for the blood that allows us to stand today righteous, not because we're good, but because you are good. To be holy because of what you did on our behalf. To never have to live with shame or guilt or condemnation because all of it was taken away on the cross so that we could live in freedom. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's take the cup together. I want you to stand with me. We're going to close with just a couple more songs. And let's just worship with all of our heart. And let's grab hold of the cross and what the cross represents and what the cross means. And walk out of here tonight in freedom. Because Jesus paid it all. He paid it all. You don't have to carry that sin. You don't have to pay for that sin. You don't have to live with that guilt or shame or condemnation anymore. That's what the cross means for you. Get a hold of that tonight.